Amen. You may stand up for a minute. How about that? Happy Father's Day. It's, it's already been said. I realize these days are bittersweet for some of us. Some of our dads have gone on to be with the Lord, and it freshens that up for you a little bit, uh, as mine has. I uh, The only thing I have on my dad's is this ring. Uh, it's not really my style. I'm not much of a a bling bling guy, but I wear it a lot of times on Sundays uh, to remember him. Uh, I've actually tried to give it away. My wife won't let me yet to my kids, and uh, she said they'll get it soon enough. So, uh, miss you, Dad. Amen. We uh, we love our dads and appreciate you and. If your dad's still here, man, make sure you contact them today. Just tell them you love them and appreciate them. And for those of us who's our dad's gone on, we got Abba Father, don't we? And he's always there for us. So we just want to honor our, our dads today. And we got a little gift for you when you leave the sanctuary today. And uh, just, just a little token, just something to give the, the dads to let you know how much we love and appreciate you and and remembering you on this day. Hallelujah. So I'm going to read uh, just a couple of verses out of Luke 15. Uh, there's probably no better example, story, teaching for Father's Day than this story. I'm entitled it, and it may sound strange to you like we made a mistake, the prodigal father. The word... Uh, prodigal doesn't mean what a lot of people think. A lot of times I ask people, what do you think, you know, the word prodigal means, they mean it's rebellious or something like that. It doesn't mean that at all. It, it, it means extravagant. Uh, the, word, the word itself, let me read you the dictionary definition. It says having or giving something of lavish, on a, on a lavish scale. Now, doesn't that sound like God to you? Uh, it says uh, extravagant, and that's what it means. How many knows our Heavenly Father is that? He lavishly pours out grace upon us. He's giving, uh, and, and so that's why I entitled this uh, the prodigal father. Luke 15 and 1, it says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. Of course, that's Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. So he spoke this parable to, to them, saying. So what Jesus does, and I won't read all of this for the sake of time, but he goes in and he gives three parables. He talks about a man that has a 100 uh, sheep, loses one of them, leaves the 99, goes after the one. Then he rolls on and talks about a woman that had 10 silver coins, she lost one of them. She, she called everybody to help her. She searches the house, celebrates when she finds that one piece that was lost. And then they go into, he goes on into the most familiar part, and that's what is known a lot of times in the church of the parable of the prodigal son. But it's not the story. That's not the point of it. Uh, most people forget, and that's why I wanted to read those first verses, that this parables, these three trilogy of parables begins because the Pharisees were 
debating and arguing with Jesus, and they come to him with their grid, with their prevailing understanding of, of everything, and, and, and they attack Jesus basically from that standpoint. And Jesus is unmantling their grid system, their thinking, and they don't agree with it. And their understanding of right and wrong, their understanding of what sin actually is, and their understanding of God. Now, it's been said that everything you ever need to know about Heavenly Father God is revealed to you in the story in that parable about these two sons. Everything you'll ever need to know about God is right there. And this is something that Jesus told. This is something that Jesus uh, delivered to us. So you can be seated today. Now, in Jesus' day, there were other groups besides the Pharisees. There was actually four groups of people. And one of them was the Essenes, and they, are, they were the super spiritual people of that day. They withdrew from society. They, they uh, would, would isolate themselves, didn't have anything to do with anybody else, and they were the only ones that were correct as far as they uh, taught as their religious views. And then there were the Zealots. The Zealots was the group of people that were involved always in politics, they were always talking politics. They were always trying to undermine the Roman government, and they had very radical political views. And then they were the Sadducees, and these are the people that, that kind of uh, cozied up, I guess you would say, to the Roman government. They were the educated elite of, of their day. They're, they're the ones that ran the arts uh, of their day. They were the liberals, I guess you would say, of their day, and, and, and they didn't believe in anything supernatural. They didn't believe in miracles, and uh, they didn't even believe in the resurrection. And then uh, there were the Pharisees. Now, these are the ones that are arguing with Jesus primarily here. They were the popular party. They were the largest group uh, out of these four groups, and they were the ones of the middle class, I guess you would say. They were conservative in their views. Uh, they did believe the Old Testament Bible. They were against the super spiritual view that the... Uh, Ascesians had, they were definitely against the radical political views that the Zealots had. And uh, all four of these groups, listen to me, they still exist today, right here in America. Now, they don't go by these names, but I want to tell you, their views, their belief systems, uh, how they view uh, God, how they view sin, how they view uh, the world is still something that, that uh, we have to deal with today. And you can really begin to uh, understand a person's views by what they say. If you let them talk a little bit, they'll let you know what they believe. Now, the Pharisees, look at what they said. They said, look, he received sinners. They were upset that he received sinners, that he would fellowship with sinners, and, and they're especially upset that he would eat with them. So what are they saying? In other words, they're saying he's soft on sin, that he welcomes people uh, that we would not even associate with that we wouldn't even talk to or, or fellowship with. Uh, when I was raised up in church, there was a big a part of that legalistic grid that, that I was around that would always, quote, come out from among the world, be ye separate, and, and not have anything to do with these sinners. In other words, a, a Christian normally very quickly loses uh, his sinner friends. Now, you think about how many sinner friends you have. Now, you can say, well, I'm such a powerful Christian that all my sinners get converted. Well, praise God for that. <laughs> but but we should have we should have some sinner friends, right? Uh, if you if you this story is much more than about the one son that went off 
and uh, lived uh, uh, in, a, in a wasteful way. Because the Bible says in verse 11, this man has two sons. And I want you to understand something, that both of these sons were alienated from God. You, you've got the son that went out and wasted his substance on righteous living, the King James says, and you've got the moral brother who stayed home. Uh, it, it was, in fact, that other brother, the good one, as, you, as the people would say. God's not saying that. I'm just saying that was the, the view of that day, the one that stayed home. It was actually his goodness that alienated him from the Father. Uh, Jesus is showing these Pharisees, and the whole point of all of these parables this trilogy of parables that Jesus told about the lost sheep, lost corn, and the lost son, actually two lost sons. And, and the whole point of it is he's, a, he's speaking to the Pharisees. He's talking to them, and he's letting them know that their whole paradigm, their whole view of God's sin and, and right and wrong is flawed, is messed up. You know, some people, you've heard this saying, you know, why does bad things happen to good people? And there, there's books by that title, and, and, and a lot of people quote that. A lot of people say, that, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? Bad things don't happen to good people because there are no good people. I know I, I, didn't, I got more amens on that than I thought I'd get. There are no good people. The Bible says there is none good but God. So there are no good people, but people are always espousing their goodness. Now listen to me. You go to any funeral today, you're going to hear people get up and talk about goodness and, and there's nothing wrong with that except if you make the congregation lead them to believe that this person and then they go follow it and declare it. in other words they're in heaven because they're good because they were a good person because they live good you know I've told you I've had people uh, when I began my ministry as an evangelist over 35 years ago I, I, they would call people up for prayer that were sick or whatever the need is and many many times I would hear and pray Lord heal sister so-and-so because she's been a faithful member of this church for 30 years. She's taught Sunday school. She's done this. She's done that. And, and they're enumerating her goodness as if that's going to impress God and God will be impressed by her goodness and go ahead and heal her. Those people never get healed. Not using that. It's by his stripes that you're healed. Not by your service to God or service to the church. or your Romans 3 and 12, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. That's what the Bible says. Uh, the Bible says, Isaiah 64 and 6, all our righteousness is as filthy rags. And, and Jesus is saying that I don't want good people. It's not about being good. Uh, I don't want Republicans. I'm not looking for Democrats. I'm not looking for Sadducees or Pharisees. Or, uh, he's not looking for that. He's looking for brand new people that are born again. That's what he, that, that was the, 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 the grid of that day, the thinking of that day. And, and it's still the same today. It, it, the, 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 th the thought is that, you know, good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. Y'all just tell me if I say anything is true today. And, and that's the grid. That's, that's still the thinking today. And you see it, like I said, predominantly at, at funerals. You, 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 you get that view. Uh, and, and Matthew 21 and verse 31, Jesus says unto them, Verily I say unto you, he says, that, and he's talking to the Pharisees again, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Now, he was talking to the holiest as far as they were concerned, people of his day. And, buddy, he drops a bomb on them, and he says, I want you to know that the publicans and the harlots will go to heaven before you do. 
How many of those they didn't say amen to that? They didn't like that at all. See, if the gospel is rightly proclaimed, if it's properly proclaimed, it will offend religious people big time. Because what it does, it repels the, their moralistic uh, view. But I tell you what it will do, it will draw the outsiders, it will draw the sinners, and the people who, who most hate religion will flock to this message of God's grace. They'll flock to it. Now, most people's grid is a moralistic, moral view of God, and, 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 and that's, that's, that's not what God is about. What you got to understand is, is Jesus was an expert at giving people uh, what they needed. In other words, what they needed to hear. He, he's brilliant at that. And so in this story, again, you got to keep in mind the target. He's talking to these Pharisees. Uh, he, he gives them this story of this prodigal son. He, the Bible doesn't call it that, but this prodigal son, these two sons, and, and, and he addresses their, their thought system. And, and some people, when they read this story, they love it, man. They absolutely love it. But I have met people that, that didn't love this story so much. I've had people say to me, you know, I actually feel sorry for the, for the son that stayed home because he, he worked so hard. You know why they said that to me? Because they're working hard. You know what they're working hard to do? To try to be good enough for God to accept them. It, they cannot conceive that this God would throw a party and everybody's in there celebrating for this son that wasted everything. They, they, their, their mind just doesn't, doesn't go there. And, and I want to tell you something. What this is, is if, if you think of your Heavenly Father as your employer, you're going to have a real problem celebrating with God over this son that come home. Uh, see, that, that, that's the whole point. You have to change your mind. Listen to me. You have to change your mind, which is what the word repent means. You have to change your mind about God in order to enjoy his love. Now, you can hear about the love of God. You can talk about the love of God. But unless you change your mind how you, how you view things, you're, you're never going to even enjoy the love of God. You're, you're not going to be able to celebrate that. And, 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 and we, we, we miss the point of the story. Now, Jesus brought them a totally different message. And, and he's, he's unmantling every view that they've got about how, you know, what makes you acceptable to God. And so his views really, I'm just going to give you three foundations to what Jesus brought them that was radically different than their, their thought pattern. Number one, he, 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 he defined a brand new definition of what sin actually is. Now, I've told you in the Bible, uh, most of the time, sin in the New Testament is not a verb. It is a noun. A noun is a person, place, or thing. The, the book of the New Testament that uses, and you hear me say this often, uses the word sin more than any other New Testament epistle is, the, is, is Romans. And only one time in that whole book of Romans is sin a verb. Every other time, it's a noun. When the Bible says, him who knew no sin became sin, Jesus didn't become a verb. He became a noun. He took upon that entity, that thing called sin. And so Jesus just un unveils here a whole new radical definition of what sin is. And, and what, how Jesus defines sin is sin is simply you're running from God. In other words, you, you're going to live your life 
as if you don't have a God. There is no God. You, you, you are your own God. In other words, a lost sheep says, I don't need a shepherd. I can find food on my own. I don't need to hang out with other sheep. I don't need a shepherd. I, you know, my life is my own. Nobody tells me what to do. I'll do what I want to do. That, that, you know, a lost son, he's, he's basically saying, I don't need a father in my life. I'll do what I want to do. I can do what I want when I want. Nobody's going to tell me. I'm not going to be, uh, I'm not going to be involved with that. And, and, and the old view of, of sin is simply, you know, breaking the rules, breaking the commandments. Jesus' view is that the essence of sin, in other words, the reason that we do break the rules, so to speak, is we're trying to live our life without God. We just don't want God in it. We don't acknowledge God. We don't want God in our life. See, Psalm 53 and 2, this is what it says, Psalms 53 and 2. It says, God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there is anyone who understands, who seek God. God says that's the beginning of understanding. It's just, it's just seeking God to live your life to acknowledge that God is God and he's, he, he's the Lord of your life. That he, he's involved in your life, that, that we need God. We, they've sung about it today, how we need God. Can't make it without God. I mean, you know, I, I remember when, you know, my, my dad died. And, and we had the un, uh, un, unfortunate task of sitting there for 11 hours, watching him, knowing he was going to die and there's not a thing we can do. Now, we can pr pray. My dad had been suffering from dementia for five years. And he was not having any kind of quality of life. And in fact, at the point, uh, he, he was actually in a nursing home that dealt with dementia patients. And, and he didn't have Alzheimer's like are common to most people. He had something that until dad got it, we'd never heard of. It's called Lewy body, L-E-W-I, Lewy body dementia. It's the same kind of dementia that Robin Williams, the, the comedian that, who committed suicide because he read that diagnosis and knew what was coming. And just said, I'm not going to submit to that. And I'm sure not saying suicide's the way. I'm saying that's not the way. But that's the reason. A lot of, a lot of people don't even know that. But he read that because there's such a radical uh, hallucinations and you, reality just goes away. And we live five years watching my dad do that. It's, it's tragic. It's tough. And uh, he actually fell in, the, in this nursing home and had an internal hemorrhage going on and so we, me and my brother and sister and my mom took off to Jacksonville at the Baptist Hospital and, and the neurosurgeon said there's no saving him. She said if he did this and he was on the operating table, I couldn't save him. And she showed me the, the, uh, the CAT scan and she says it's just a matter of time. And they told us that he wouldn't live but an hour or two. He lived 11 hours. And, you know, we all did the thing. And I'm not trying to make you feel sorry. I'm just saying, you know, it's a reality. This day's a reality for a lot of people. And we each had, you know, went to my dad and just said what we wanted to say to him in his ear. Because what we believe as believers is that your body may be suffering, but your spirit is alive and well. And we believe, and I believe, that you, you, you hear and recognize those things in that, in that realm, even though your body can't respond to it. You're kind of like trapped in a house that don't, you know, that ain't working for you. And we just said, you know, I told my dad, I said, Daddy, we love you. I'm the oldest, so... It's just different being the oldest kid, you know. But I said, we're here, Mama's here, and Danny and Tammy's here, Daddy. And I want, you know, don't worry about Mama. We got this. You can go home, be with your Daddy, with your Mama, 
All our kitten folks is already there. And we love you, Daddy. It's okay. We got this. And we all, you know, said our goodbyes, you know. And it was still tough. It, it's still tough. But, it, but when, 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 you know, finally when that moment came and he was gone, and I've preached this all my life. I've preached, and I know heaven's real and the reality of that. And to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Now, there's a lot of Christians that don't even believe that. I don't know how they encourage themselves. You know, they think you're out there in the cemetery and you're in some kind of soul sleep somewhere. But that's not what the Bible says. Paul said, I have a desire to depart. Now, why would he want to depart if he knew he was just going to be in some kind of zone? No, he said, he said, it's far better for me to depart and be with the Lord. But he said, I know it's needful that I remain here with you for a little while longer. But he said, to be absent from this body is to be immediately present with the Lord. So your loved ones that's going on, no matter who they are, they are presently right now with the Lord. I remember when I walked up to my dad's casket, I just said this kind of to myself. Just, you know, I wasn't saying it for nobody. I just said, I'll see you for the days out, Daddy. For this day's end, I see you. And I said, you say, well, how could you say that to him? Because a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. I'm not going to live no thousand years. I said, I'll see you for the day ends, Daddy. And my daddy's not sitting up there looking at his wristwatch because ain't nobody have got a watch or an iPhone either. I don't know what some of y'all going to do when you get there. St. <laughs> Peter ain't going to be handing out iPhones at the gate. You know what I'm saying? You're going to have to make it without it. I remember one time my kids came over some holiday or something, and my, I literally put a basket at my door going into my house, you know, because they all come in the garage, and I put a sign on it. I said, all cell phones must be dropped here. Do you think any of them put a cell phone in that basket that day? No, they didn't. So many times we'd sit around in our family, you know, and everybody's just looking at their cell phone, you know. It's like, hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> You know, now I find myself doing about the same thing if I'm not careful. But the reality is that, that heaven's real. Jesus is real. But I guess the thing that I was trying to say is that it's hard to put in words how I felt when my dad was actually gone. Because then I realized as far as I'm, I'm the patriarch now, I'm, the, I, I'm it. I got no daddy to pick up the phone and talk to. I'm it. This is where the buck stops here now with me. And, and it's a different feeling. And I don't know how people that feel that without a relationship with Abba Father, I don't know how they deal with it. I'm talking about life. But thank God for our Heavenly Father. That all of, and sometimes, you know, you do what you want to do. I've had, uh, I remember one time, Dr. M.J. Robinson, you, too long a story, but he was just a great pastor, a great friend of mine. We fellowshiped for many years. He was old, much older than me. And uh, man, I missed him. And I still do. And uh, you know, just in prayer one day, I just said, you know, and you know, we don't believe, we don't talk to the dead. We don't do all that deal. I just said to God, I said, God, tell Dr. Robinson, I said, hey, I got no verse to show you. But I just told God, I said, tell Dr. Robinson, I said, hey, that was on a, you know, weekday, Thursday or Friday, I remember, and this when I was pastoring Cornerstone, and I went to church that Sunday morning, and I remember Pastor Junior walked up to me before the service even started, and he said, man, I, I, uh, I had a dream last night, 
And in my dream, Dr. Robinson came to me and told me to tell you hello. When he told me that, every hair on my body stood at attention. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, my God, I just told God to tell him hello. He said, well, I guess he's saying hello back. Now, you can go, I don't, believe, I don't care if you believe it or not. It ain't your hairs were standing on end. It was mine. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Amen. And, 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 I, and I believe that. And I believe that. You know, and I hadn't had anything like that happen again, but I've told God several times, I said, tell my dad I miss him. Tell him I said hello. Tell him we're going to see him before long. You know, um, you know. I remember when my dad died. Boy, my mom. She's probably listening on Facebook, but she struggled like anybody does. And I haven't been through what she's gone through. I've not buried and, and lost a spouse. Some of you have. That's a whole different deal. And uh, but I remember, you know, her just hurting for so many months for so long, and and us as her kids getting concerned. I remember one time I said to mom, you know, I said, Mama, did you did you love daddy for you know, for your sake or only for your sake or for his sake? And uh that was kind of a tough thing to say. And I had to explain to her what I was asking her. But I said, Did you did you love daddy for 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 your sake only or for his sake as well? Did you know or did you love daddy for his sake? And she said, No, I loved him for him. I said, well, I want to tell you something about Daddy. He's with the Lord. He is absolutely at peace and happy and healed. He wouldn't want to come back if he could. And it's like that brought peace to her, that she realized the reality of that presence he's got with the Lord. And so I said, you got to find happiness now, Mama, in his happiness because he's happy. So you got to learn a way to, to grab hold of that happiness and let that happiness be your happiness. Amen? And uh, sure, we miss them, but we can't make that the whole deal because we're going to get to be with them again. The second view that Jesus had, he, he gave them a brand new uh, definition of their value. Now, the Bible says that Jesus came to seek and to save that that's lost. In other words, you don't look for something that has no value. And, and, and you, you don't look for something. In other words, I can't say help me to find my lost billfold if it didn't belong to me in the beginning, right? In other words, to seek and to save that that lost, listen to me, get this little point, is that you, you've always belonged to God. You have always been his. You've never been the devil's. You've always belonged to God. You are created in the image and the likeness of your heavenly father. You have always belonged to God, even when you didn't acknowledge him, know him, or even care for him. He has always cared for you, and he's always looked for you because you have always been his, and you are now lost if you are lost without God, and God is seeking and searching for you. Not that he can't find you. You understand? I mean, God's reaching for you. And so Jesus said, I'm the shepherd in these parables. I'm the shepherd that's looking for the lost sheep, and I'm the one that goes after them. I'm the one that leaves the 90 and 9 and goes after the one. I'm the woman that is looking diligently for that lost coin. I am the father looking for that son. And so religious people don't have any value. They don't see the value in themselves, and what they're doing is they're trying to earn it. They think if they work really hard, if they're really good, then God will accept them, but he will not. See, you are, listen to me, you are, of to you are of great value to God even in your lostness. Did you hear that? You are of great value to God even in your lostness. Now listen to me. This is how a lot of people 
uh, will say to me, and, and they don't, I don't know if they get it or not, but this is how they're trying to say to me that they're good. Listen to me. This is what they say. I'm not a bad person. I'm not a bad person. They may say, they may follow that with, I hadn't killed anybody, I ain't robbed a bank. They'll say, I'm not a bad person. I'm not perfect, but I'm not a bad person. When, when you say, I'm not a bad person, then what you're really saying is, I'm a good person. But how good are you? I mean, how much of you is good? 10%, 30%, 50% good? 40% good. So if you're 40% good, then God only had to use 60% of his goodness to save you because you was already 40% good. You didn't need grace, all of it. You just needed a little bit. You didn't need all of God, you just need a little bit of God. You was already good. You, you're not bad, so that means if you're not bad, then that means you're, not, you're good, right? Well, how good are you? How much goodness do you have? And how much goodness does it take to impress God and to make you acceptable to God? See, that's the grid system that's got to be dismantled because you will never enjoy God's love until you can just say there is nothing good in me within myself that makes me acceptable to God. God has lavishly and, and abundantly poured out his grace upon me with no guarantee that I would accept it because the grace of God has appeared to all men. But to many as received him, to them he gave the power to be the sons and the daughters of God. And so, so you, you got to see that your value to God. You got to always see that you're valuable to God even in your losses. Lastly, the third paradigm of Jesus, this whole different new definition of sin, uh, a whole new uh, definition of your value, and thirdly, a new definition of what salvation actually is. All other religions have all these rules that you have to do in order to be acceptable to their God. They have all these things you have to do, this regiment, these things you have to do in order to be acceptable to God. Uh, I had someone this week communicating with me. And, and, and you know, this, let's be careful here, but this person asked another person, you know, well, <clears throat> if I don't believe the Bible just like you, if I don't read the Bible just like you, does that mean I'm not going to go to heaven? And the person who was very close to that person said maybe and I replied back to that person through email I said that's a telltale sign of legalistic religion in other words you know if we don't baptize you just like we supposed to, like you're supposed to be baptized y'all don't make me tell you where the church is at and Valdosta teaches that <clears throat> you probably already know but if we don't baptize you and use the exact phraseology that that we must use and if you're not baptized by us then you're not going to heaven and they got more people listening to that dude this morning than I got listening to me. And that's what they teach. And that's the definition of a cult. But they are widely accepted. It's an accepted deal right here in town. Oh, you go, oh well, hallelujah. Because you don't, you don't know what to teach. Unless I baptize you, you know, in this, you know, just like this. I got to say it exact. I got to say it right. And unless our church baptizes, you're not going to heaven. That's what they believe and teach. And people just, they walk to that like sheep to the slaughter. And there's all kind of places like that to put all these kind of, and I'm not saying anything goes, not anything, it's not anything goes. There's one way, one mediator between man and God, and that's Jesus. 
But there's one way to get saved, and it ain't doing this X, Y, Z. It is it's not doing all this stuff. It's believing in the Lord Jesus Christ for your righteousness. In other words, you're going to have to be 100% righteous and perfect to go to heaven. And I've taught you that. You can go, well, I'm not perfect. I know you're not, not in your flesh, but in your spirit you're going to have to be. So how are you going to achieve that? Okay, okay, so that's called law putting you to death. The letter killeth, but the Spirit's going to come behind that and give you life. Jesus came not because you needed forgiveness, because he already gave you that before you even asked for it. and He didn't even ask your permission. He just forgave you. He took away the sin of the world. He removed that obstacle and that barrier. Now he says what you need is because you're dead in trespassing sin, you need life. I have come that they might have life. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, what happens to people that don't believe? I said, John 3.16, you ever read that one? For God so loved the world, the world, not the church. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe upon him should not perish but have life everlasting. What's going to happen to people who don't believe? You're going to perish. That's another sermon I've taught it from here. Get the CD, it'll make your hair stand on end. You're going to perish if you don't believe God. Perish. Anyway, I better leave that there. Every other religion says you got to do this. You got to do it this way or you're not going to make it. You got you to be in our group. You got to believe it just like this. Break, breaking the rules. In other words, if you break the rules of these other, all, all this stuff, then they teach you you, you can't you can't go to heaven. You, you can't you can't be saved. You you can break all the rules you want to, or keep all the rules you want to, but that's not going to give you eternal life. Now I, I want you to think about something about this. What we you know the the world calls the prodigal son. This is what this guy did. He he said to his dad. Give, give me my portion right now. Let me translate that for you. Dad, I wish you were dead because I need my stuff. He wasn't supposed to get his stuff until the dad died, but he says, I need it now, and I want it now. The dad didn't have to do it, but he gave it to him. Sometimes the way you find out you don't need what you got is to get what you get. My little grandbaby said they teach him at school, get what you get, don't pitch your fit. Well, I want a cherry. Well, you got grape. Just lick on that a while. Hallelujah. That's all you're getting. Get what you get and you don't pitch a fit. All right. But sometimes, you know, in all of our lives, come on now, think about it. Hadn't you wanted something really bad and then you got it? <laughs> and then you realize you didn't want it as bad as you thought you did. Hello. Oh, uh, but he said, give me my portion. Then it said this. Listen to me. He wasted his life, wasted everything, wasted it. It, it. it uses the word in the Bible, wasted. He wasted it, wasted the money. But not only was he wasting the money, wasting his life, wasting it. Now listen to me. Yeah, you understand this is a grace church. I'm a grace preacher. You ain't figured that out. I don't know what to tell you. God loves you no matter what you do, and this ain't performance-based. But I'll tell you something. Grace is a tremendous gift. Grace is Jesus. Grace is a person. That is a gift beyond my ability to describe to you. 
but you can waste that. Yeah, you're loved, you're forgiven. Yeah, you know, I was telling uh, somebody the other day, it's like, well, you know, what if, I, what, what if I took this diamond ring off that my daddy wore and I gave it to one of my, one of my kids? And they just, they, they just waste it. They pawn it. They dig the diamonds out of it. They, they, they lose it. They, they, they don't value it. They handle, they don't, they, that's wasting something precious. You understand? They're wasting it. And God's not going to, God loves you. But man, you can waste your life. You, you can waste what's been given to you. Precious time. Your life, you can waste it away on, like they, the Bible says of him, riotous living. The New King James actually uses the word prodigal. It says prodigal living. Just wasteful, just, just don't, not valuing in everything. Then, then it said that this, this, this son that was there, it said he began to be in want. Surprise, surprise. He began to be in want. And then it says this, no one gave him anything. Where are your friends at, man? Where are your buddies? Who's helping now? Who's giving you anything? Nobody gave him anything. And he's having to reach in and try to eat what the hogs is eating because it said that he attached himself to another man. That's called being in slavery. There's a lot of ways you can put yourself in bondage even today in 2021. You can get yourself so in debt, so in a mess, that you're like a slave, just laboring, trying to just, <laughs> just trying to make it in this world. This world was never meant by God even to be something you survive. That's people that live, in, they're just existing. Sometimes it goes by the term paycheck to paycheck. Y'all ain't shouting. It says nobody gave him anything. And then it says this, listen to this, when he came to himself. Well, he's in this place, and it says when he came to himself. Now, for the Bible to say when he came to himself, what does that mean? It means he was not himself. Listen to me. There is an absolute insanity that goes with sin. Sin will have you do an insane things to yourself to people that love you insane things sometimes people are doing things that's absolutely insane but they just keep on doing them because sin it says sin has deceived sin there's a deceptive aspect to sin it it deceives you it, it promises you something that it never delivers that's why many people sin, and, and they see sin as their solution. They don't see it as their problem. You can tell them a thousand times, stop doing this. They're not going to stop because that's their solution. That's not their problem. See, the problem is actually the belief system. The, the problem is an orphan spirit. The problem is thinking that you're on your own, that you got no help, that God has forsaken you. God's, Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. 
The new King James says, I will not leave you. He said, if I go away, I'm going to send another. He's not only going to be with you, he's going to be in you, and he is the Holy Spirit. You, you understand to me, listen to I don't care how old you are. You need to know that you ain't on your own. You ain't got this by yourself. You ain't big enough. You ain't bad enough. You ain't smart enough. You, ain't none of us can handle this life by ourselves. By ourselves, it's, it's too hard. It's too complicated. It's too convoluted. It's too, well, you can't do life by yourself. You, you're going to have to talk to somebody that knows more than you, and that's God. Father I, Father, I need your wisdom today. Father, I need your grace to, to guide me. And what, you know, even like me coming to this service day, I said, God, I said, you know, I'm, I'm just going to raise the sail. I'm, I just kind of, I got all these ways to talk to God. But I said, I'm just going to throw the sail up like a sailboat. But I can't make the wind blow. That's what I told him today. I'm just telling you what I prayed this morning. I said, I'm going to go there. I'm going to be like the sailboat, Papa. I'm going to throw my, I'm going to throw the sail up. I'm going to raise it up. But I'm asking you, come on, wind and blow. And, and, and help me to be, be led by you to what you want to do. I mean, it, I don't ever know exactly what God's going to do. I told God, I don't care if I preach or not. I really don't. I preach enough, I'm good. I mean, I'm good. I, I don't have to preach to feel like I'm somebody. But, but, I, but I'm always just, I'm trying to listen. Whatever you want to do, God, I'm, I'm up for it. What, whatever you, whatever you want to do, I'm up for it. Why don't you do this? Because God didn't tell me to do it. I've also been doing this long enough to know that it ain't good to just start something, you know, because God don't appreciate what he don't initiate. <laughs> so what are you going to do? I'm going to do what I always do. I'm going to preach the word and believe that the word, there would be a confirmation of the word. Amen? But it says when he came to himself. Now here his son's coming home, and you know the story. He's coming home. The father's always been looking for him, and he sees him a great way off. And the Bible says the father ran to him. Ran. Fathers don't run much. If you, if you see me running, it's somebody chasing me. <laughs> I, I ain't running for you. <laughs> I'm walking as an accomplishment now. You get older, stuff will change. But I ain't running. I'll just shoot you. I'm not going to run from you. I'm just going to shoot you. And I still don't have to run. But the Bible said this father ran to his son. You know why he's running? A lot of people miss this. I don't know if you understand under the Jewish law and all that, what happened to a rebellious son is he was stoned to death. And you know, all you have to do is read the Bible. John 8, woman caught in the door. There's plenty of people standing around with rocks in their pockets, ready to go at a moment's notice. And that father is running to that boy to protect him from that right there. He is not going to let them rock throwers get to him for. He's not going to do that. And the Bible says he fell upon him. There's only two times that that word, Greek word, is used in the whole New Testament Bible. This is one of them. The other time it said that when Peter was in the house of Cornelius in Acts 11, and he was preaching, he was talking to him actually, and he was, he was in the middle of talking to him, and it says the Holy Spirit fell upon them. That's the only other time that word's used. It's like God was there and Peter's there and he's in these Gentiles' home and this is the, this is the entranceway really of the Gentiles coming into the kingdom of God. And it's like Peter's talking and God's like, man, I can't wait on you to get through. And he just falls on them and they begin to speak in tongues, praise, magnify God. And then Peter goes back to the Jewish Jerusalem council and tells these Jewish brothers, listen, man, who am I that I can stop water? <laughs> he said, man, don't get mad at me. God did this. 
He said the Holy Spirit fell upon them just like it did upon us in Acts chapter 2 in the upper room. And he said, I couldn't forbid it, couldn't stop it. So the Bible says that this father fell upon his neck. This is John, uh, Luke 15, 20, 21. And, and he had compassion on him. He, he ran. He fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And that's where the, that's where the conversation ended. Daddy wouldn't let him say nothing else. Because grace cannot be bought. And God's not your employer. If you see God as your judge, you've got a wrong view of him if you're his kid. There's only one correct way to see God, and he's Father. Nobody ever saw God as Father till Jesus came. Jesus came to reveal us the Father. They said, show us the Father. He said, you're looking at him. When you've seen me, you have seen the Father. This is how the Father does with people. This is how he treats a woman caught in the act of adultery. This is how he deals with a woman at the well. This is how he deals with a paralyzed man lowered through the This is the Father. The Father's not different. This is the Father. This is who the Father is. And, and, and he stops him right there, and then he does the unthinkable. Gives him the best robe. Now, where do you think the best robe came from? And who do you think in that home wore the best robe? The Father. And what the father did standing right there is he took off his robe and he put his robe. That's righteousness. God took off his righteousness and God put his righteousness upon us. His righteousness. That's what that robe symbolized. He, took, he gave the ring to him. That's authority. That's privilege. That's sonship. That's adoption. Whereby we've been adopted. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. He, he, he took, uh, uh, this son was barefooted. Because slaves didn't have shoes, and he gave him sandals for his feet. He said, you're not a slave. You're not in bondage any longer. And he put that, and then he said, Feel the, kill the uh, fatted calf. He, in other words, he said, this is my son whom I thought was dead, but now is alive. He said, let's, see, he could have been going to a funeral, but now he's having a festival. Now he's having a fiesta. Now he's having a party. You see what I'm saying? And, 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 he, and, he, and he says, let's celebrate. He's spending all kind of money on this son that's done wasted all his money. That's called grace, y'all. The, the, the church can't figure it out. You know what the church wants to do with somebody like that? We want to put them in this, and we want to put them in probation, and we want to do this, and we want to do that, and let's give them. That's not how grace does it. Grace said, glory to God, I trust God. Let's have a party. Now, the, old, the, old, the oldest brother, the son, he didn't like that. And you know the Bible said he wouldn't go in. It actually used this phrase. It said, he would not go into the party, so the father came out. I love that phrase. Because the son wouldn't go in, the father came out. And, and of course, what's he going to do? What's his son going to do? This is the one that's, this is the good son, right? This is the one that stayed home, worked hard, whatever. He said, I've been here work for you every day. I've served you with all my heart, and you never throw me a party. You, see, you hear what he said? He said, I've served you. That's not grace. That's employer-employee relationship. You've got a wrong view of the father that's why you don't enjoy his love you're trying to make yourself palatable acceptable to God by your performance you're never going to be acceptable to God in fact it's going to be harder for you to get to God than it is this guy the guy in the pig pen knows he's in the pig pen you don't have to tell him he's in the pig pen he knows he's in the pig pen and he knows he's wasted everything and he knows he's got problems you don't have to preach against sin he already knows he's a sinner he can smell himself 
But the ones you have a hard time trying to get convinced them that they need God just as bad as that dude is the ones that's in the church building going, hallelujah, come by y'all. You know, what would Jesus do? Those are the people because they are relying upon their performance, their serving God, their goodness. I pray four hours a day. I read these many scriptures. I, I believe in praying. I believe in reading the Bible. But those things do not give you brownie points with God. In fact, they can be a hindrance to God if you think you can throw those out and say, God, you owe me. I don't understand why you let this happen in my life because, and then you start naming all how good you've been. God, I've been to church all my life. I've paid my tithes. I've done this and that. I don't understand why you let this happen to me. Oh, really? Now we get into who you really are. You just revealed yourself. You're trying to earn it. You think God owes you. Because you've been a good boy. See how quiet it got in our Episcopal church? I love the Episcopalians. Don't email me nothing. God bless you. I have to be so careful. You don't know my world. Listen, none of that impresses God. There's only one thing that impresses God, and that's Jesus. So I don't have to impress God no more because I have somebody that impresses him for me. His name's Jesus. So when they say, what's your qualifications? I point to that guy, Jesus. Where's your righteousness? Jesus. Where's your holiness? Jesus. Where's your ticket to heaven? Jesus. <laughs> Everything's Jesus. I'm not, I have nothing to offer God. You ever heard that old song, Just As I Am, without one plea? That, that's really it. Now, they used to play that when I was a little boy in church. That was always an altar call song, you know, Just As I Am. And then the preacher would stand there and tell three car wreck stories. <laughs> Y'all know what I mean? They would play just as I am without one plea, but then they would throw the threat and, you know, call you could be dead before you get to the house tonight. You better get up here, you know. And that just kind of killed the whole just as I am deal. If it's just as I am, let's, let's come just as I am. You don't have to scare me in. You don't have to prod me into the altar with, with hell on a stick. Just tell me that God loves me. It is the goodness of God that leads men to repent, which means to change the way they think. So today, you have to change the way you think about sin. Don't try to live your life without God. Change the way you see your value. Even in the most worst day of your life, you are of great value to God. So much that he would leave heaven, become a man, and come after you. Now, in Jewish tradition, Jewish tradition, it was always the responsibility. I've had people say, well, why didn't the father leave his house and go look for that lost boy? Number one of his age, and there's a lot of things, but the fathers were not to go out like that. Remember when David got old one time, he went out on the battlefield and got killed. And, they, and his soldiers said, that's the last day you'll ever be out there. They said, we, the lamp of Israel almost was extinguished today. From now on, we go do the fighting, you stay here do the planning. <laughs> but you don't go to the front lines with us no more. Remember that? Fathers didn't go out like that because they would lose their patriarch. Could lose them. So it was the responsibility in Jewish culture for the eldest son to go look for the siblings if, one, if, if this occurred. This eldest brother, by his remaining at home, showed his disdain for his younger rebellious brother. He wouldn't even follow Jewish culture. And the father ran to this boy when he saw him and ran and kissed him and brought him home. 
in a similar thought, listen, when we were lost and we rebelled against God and we're in a far country, our elder brother left his home. His name is Jesus. The Bible calls him our elder brother. And he, our elder brother did leave everything, and he left the security, and he left all that he had, and he became one of us, and our elder brother came and searched and sought us out and brought us back to Papa. Do you see that? That's the gospel. That's the story. And everything you'll ever need to know about your heavenly father is all right there in that parable. This is how he loves you. This is what he'll do when you screw up big time. He'll come after you. He'll fall upon you even while you smell like a hog and kiss you. And he will restore you. And he will celebrate your coming home. Amen? I want you to stand with me. You receive the word today. Give God praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. I want every dad to send here. I don't care what your age. I want you to just come stand in the altar. Let me pray for you before we get out of here. Every papa, come on. I'm going to hold you just a second, and I'm going to pray for you and let you go. Man, we love our dads, don't we? Come on, ladies. Bless them. <laughs> Amen. You know, like you guys are probably like me, you know, when you became a dad, they didn't hand you a manual about how to be one. You didn't get one, you know, before you became a dad. Uh, some of us had examples of a dad. Some didn't have good examples. Some had absent dads for various reasons. And the task you've been given as a father is not an easy one. And I hear some of these younger dads, they go, well, I'll be glad when I get my kids grown, you know, and God bless your heart. You, you know nothing. <laughs> it just means it's going to be, they got potential for bigger problems. When they're small, it's just Legos and Tinker Toys, but anyway. And I wish I could even be more transparent with you today, but I can't. But I'm going to tell you, God's always there for you. And God's wisdom, God's grace, God's mercy is always there for us. Um, when you get older, you just you realize that the what you're leaving, your legacy, your your what you're imparting into you, your kids, and uh, and then the one of the greatest, the, I mean, the one of the greatest things. And I never mean that I don't love my kids. I love my my kids. They know I love them. But man, these grandbabies. Whew, it just morphed me into a diff different creature. It changed my belief systems on so many things. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like, goodness. And my kids have been amazed. They're like, who is this guy? That's not the man that raised us, you know. Uh, I, I, just, I, I don't even know how to explain that to you. But there's it's just a different kind of love. It's just something. It opened up an avenue in my heart that I didn't even know was there. I don't know. I think you're seeing your kids in the face of those little kids. I don't know. Just a whole different deal. And uh, and you sure know more than your grown kids when you're a grandparent, don't you? <laughs> or at least you feel like you do. Amen. So I want to pray for you today, and we just want to bless and honor you. Father, 
you are our Father, and we love you because you first loved us. And Lord, that tells me that I was incapable of loving you until I first received your love for me. So I pray first of all that every one of these dads and every person in this building and everyone that's listening to this will, will receive the free gift of the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Let them see their value to you, even in their lostness. And God, as they receive that love, let them reciprocate and thereby love you because you first loved us. And let them enjoy your love. Let them walk in your love. Let them, let them, let them live their life constantly knowing that they are loved by God. And I pray, Father, that, that you, the, the love of God that, that surpasses all understanding will guard and keep their hearts through Christ Jesus. The wisdom to be that father and that grandfather and to be that example to, to, to men and to young ladies that don't even have a natural father or grandfather, but we become spiritual fathers to them. We pray that as well, that we be able to, to be that person that someone can look to as an example, like Paul said, follow me as I follow the Lord. Let us be men, Lord God, that other men and young ladies could follow the relationship that we have with our God. I pray that for these men. I pray that for these that are in this house today. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Fellowship one another. We'll see you next Sunday.